listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. This is your host, Christopher Turner. I hope you're doing well. It is a beautiful Sunday uh, evening, turning into evening here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, you know, I had a lot on my mind uh, today and, and, and a lot to, to kind of get out in a sense. And so I wanted to sit down here and make sure that I, I do that before, um, before I kind of lose the thought. Right. And the, the thing I'm struggling with today is, is the concept or idea of failure itself. <clears throat> you know, like I, I keep on thinking of this quote. Um, I think it's by FDR. We have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Let me double check that really quick. We have nothing to fear. And that's, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Roosevelt, um, but it's it's saying that it might have been Churchill. Uh, anyway, um, that quote, right? I'm sorry, guys. I got a little distracted there for a second. That oftentimes we get afraid of being afraid, and that that's the condition I, I currently find myself in. And I've found myself in before, and there's a feeling to it uh, when you get to this this spot. And I want to do my best to try to describe it to you as a listener so that maybe if you recognize yourself having a similar kind of experiencing it in a similar way or noticing similar symptoms in yourself, you can catch yourself before you kind of fall into a dark place, which is kind of what I'm trying to do right now. Um... Because I think it's when we have um, irrational fears, right? Being afraid of, of fear itself, of experiencing a natural human emotion. Uh, something that in at a fundamental level is biochemical in nature, right? Uh, but also has a lot of deeper implications spiritually, you know, because what you're afraid of kind of represents what you are in some sense. And so I've been trying to figure out what I'm afraid of. Or actually not trying to figure it out, but I think I've stumbled stumbled upon what my ultimate fear is. And I, I as soon as I figured it out, I, I kind of hit me that maybe that's something that a lot of other people are afraid of too. Especially people my age. Because I think there's a lot of people my age that are getting to the same point at the same time, right? Where we're running out of steps, for lack of a better way to describe it. You know, like I've, I've said before, there's, there's this way in which we kind of try to set the world up, compartmentalize it, right? To make it safe, right? To make it less scary. Uh, but we also try to make it simple, more easily navigatable in some in some senses that's what a society's function is right and so what we've done is kind of set up these systems of steps grades in a sense right and we do this in, with school when you go through this process of going from one step to the next step to the next step but there's always a next step right and it's kind of this illogical loop that I, in some ways we kind of unintentionally train our children into, ex- modern day at least, expecting that there's going to be a next step. 
because every time you transition from one step to another, we've identified there's a little reward. We get like a, a serotonin boost or something, you know what I mean? We graduate or you move from one level to the next, even though like fundamentally you're the same thing as you were yesterday before you moved to the, you know, graduated or whatever it is. Uh, you still feel different, right? Because you've done something or there's like a significant change there. Like now I'm in a different, I'm a different thing now, right? It's <laughs> kind of how we think about it. But you're not, right? And so it, in some ways, we, we kind of set ourselves up to kind of expect a reward when there isn't any reason to have one. Right? Because that's not how life is. You know, you get you get rewards in life. Um, I think maybe I'm, when I say life, it's too general of a term. I guess it's like I, I, I'm trying to speak in more of like of like the natural world, I guess. Which <laughs> you listen to that Joe Rogan podcast, or the guy that had the uh, wrote the book about the issue with the word natural. I think he had some good points, but I also think he kind of expanded that idea a little bit too deep and broad. Um, <clears throat> Overgeneralizing in a sense, right? But anyway, the the um, what I'm trying to get to, and I keep on kind of fumbling around it. If you can tell, I guess I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, is that I'm afraid of failure because there's no next step. <clears throat> You know, I don't know what to do next. And a lot of times, I think there's a, so many times in life we'll get to this point. You know, where we just don't know what to do next. <laughs> and it's almost uh, as if those moments are crossroads moments in your life. And deeply meaningful and, and profound in some way. You use a different feeling to those moments. You feel a little bit more grand in scale, right? And that you don't want to... You don't want to mess things up. You're so afraid that I'm going to mess everything up. You know what I mean? I'm going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Or miss an opportunity when it presents itself. You know, or... Or let my anger get the best of me, or let my impatience get the best of me. Uh, maybe let my desire to have comfort, you know, overwhelm me, and and maybe instead of following my dreams and following what I really want to do, I end up just going and getting a job to make myself comfortable. In a weird way, that is one of my deepest fears. Now. Because the culmination of experience I've had thus far has taught me, or at least what I've learned looking back over my life thus far, is that where I think I've been going wrong is that I wasn't following my map. I didn't even know I had one. I didn't know there was any deeper purpose to my life. Or maybe I knew that there's a deeper purpose to my life, but I was denying it inside of myself because I wanted comfort. I wanted simplicity. I wanted that really nice segmented reward. I wanted to be able to plan to take a vacation. 
I wanted to be able to plan to have a retirement. But I'm also very quickly starting to realize that one of the sacrifices that's going to be required of me in my path, and what my path is demanding of me, is to relinquish those things. To kind of forego the more common gratifications in life. Because I think... um, those gratifications when indulged have a, have, a, have a way of holding you back. Or maybe it's more like those gratifications when indulged have a way of holding you, when indulged at improper times have a way of holding you back. That it's more about timing. That all of the reward you're going to get in your life is there for a reason. It's, and that there is just reward. You, you were... You, Pleasure is there for a reason, right? Comfort is there for a reason. And it's not for you to try to run away from it. It's not for you to kind of sacrifice it your whole life, I don't think. At least I don't believe that. But I do think um, that you're, you're kind of meant to like choose when you have it. And he also, it's like we have to also recognize this at a fundamental level that we don't get to choose to not have or to, to have it all the time. That one of the only ways you really hold yourself back is by choosing to hold yourself back but in a very kind of insidious way that you don't directly choose that you don't say I'm going to hold myself back instead what you do is you choose to have a gratification at a time frame when it's unnecessary or when what's required is the opposite when what's required is sacrifice and I often think that this segmenting of life this step by step method that we go in the way we try to train, make, you know, kind of predictable producers and consumers in a sense, has a way of tricking people into taking their gratifications too early. Kind of like taking your winnings before, you know, instead of letting it ride, right? And that, yeah, maybe you... <laughs> I think what you have to get to is a point that you're more afraid of, of, of failing to realize what you're supposed to be than being an object, an object failure, societally. I think I, th- I think for me that that's that's the point I'm coming to internally. And the point I feel at right now is that I've come to a point where I'm so tired of being afraid of failing to realize whatever my purpose is, whatever I'm supposed to be doing here, which I think in some ways relates to this right here. That I'm not I, I I'm more afraid of not realizing that than I am afraid of being let's say homeless or something like that now I say that sitting in an apartment where I'm home like I'm I'm warm and comfortable it's an incredibly audacious thing to say and is a crazy thing to say but I really think to do anything meaningful in this world you have to lose your mind 
There's this way we refer to uh, insanity when when you're talking the concept of insanity, actually. <laughs> when but it, we we try to make it more of an academic term. We we call it outside the box thinking. That's just a different way of referring to being insane. I think. Now, the definition of sanity I'm working with is something <laughs> non-maniacal, right? I hope you're not thinking. <laughs> like, uh, was it like uh, Mr. Hyde over here, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or something like that? No. Uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of, of, of uh, a questioning thing that isn't comfortable with the some accepting kind of uh, things that a majority or plurality of people would accept as true being comfortable being the odd man out in a sense um i've found that regardless how of of how badly i wanted to fit in in my life that no matter how hard i tried to fit in or how hard i tried to fit the way i think into the way into the world that was always that odd man out even if i didn't choose it and so what's that's what that's taught me is that maybe i should start choosing it Right? Except when you choose something like that, when you choose to be the odd man out, when you choose to say, hey, I disagree, or hey, I have a different way of thinking about that, and you enunciate it, well, you do kind of lose your mind a little bit in a sense, right? Because you're bringing like an internal world into the reality, you're speaking it into being. It's never been there before. And there's something so audacious about that that's a little insane. Like I, I feel a little crazy talking about what I'm talking about right now with people that I have never met before. With you, a listener that I have never met before, right? That I don't know who... It, you can see what I'm talking about in that, right? How I have to be a little crazy to even can attempt to do something like this. But it's something like, I keep on getting this feeling, you know, and it's like this quote I keep on hearing in my, in my head. It's like, you know, and it's like in a, in a, in a world full of sane people, I don't want to be something like that. It gets down. I was actually watching a, a documentary earlier today on, on Frederick Nietzsche. He's one of my favorite philosophers. <clears throat> and it gets down to this idea, and I don't, some of, you know, some of his ideas are very controversial, right? Historically, especially. Uh, and I think it's because a lot of his ideas were taken out of context and kind of manipulated, used for very sinister means. Um, but there's this idea, one of the ideas that I found really intriguing, and I think is, is, is popping up in, in, in blatantly obvious modern day is this idea of the herd you've heard this term right pop up from my understanding Nietzsche was the idea was the person to first kind of conceptualize this idea of a herd mentality now what I found interesting is when I was watching this documentary and they were kind of explaining his idea of herd mentality because I hadn't I hadn't I guess I were gotten to a point in any of his writings where I had had it explained and so um in depth 
And what, what fascinated me about it was there's something about um, what's going on modern day. There's this pull that you feel. And in some ways it relies on sanity, right? On being sane. But what is sane? Well, I would, let's, let's define that. Definition of sanity. Sanity, from the Latin word sanitas, refers to the soundness, rationality, and health of the human mind. As opposed to insanity, a person is sane if they are rational. Now let's look up the definition of rational. Thank you for being patient with me, guys. I know it's not the most fun when I start to type and, and look like this. I wish I had somebody like Jamie, you know, <laughs> on Joe Rogan's podcast to kind of do it for me. But unfortunately, I'm not quite as big as Joe. So <laughs> if any of you were wondering yet. <laughs> um, rational. Wikipedia definition. I'm sorry. That's not what I was trying to. There it is. Rationality is the quality or state of being rational. That is being based on or agreeable to reason. So being able to be reasoned with. Rationality implies the conformity of one's belief. With one's reasons to believe. And of one's actions with one's reasons for action. So that you're not disjointed as an individual is what it means. So that what you believe is what you do. What you believe is what you speak. Yes, right there. Rationality implies the conformity of one's beliefs with one's reasons to believe. So it's also that, that, that what you believe is a reflection of what you, you see. So it's a combination of what you experience, but also something that aligns with a deeper belief and reason for being. Rationality is, is being able to be reasoned with. Okay. So in, by that definition, to be insane would be to be unreasonable. But what's so funny is like if I, I keep, so think about that, to be unreasonable. And immediately you're going to be like, well, like that's, that's a, not a good characteristic. I, that's what I thought. Like you don't want to be unreasonable, right? You don't want to be not, you don't want to be unable to be reasoned with. But also, I don't think all of humans' progression is simply due to or a product of reason. Would you agree? What I mean by that is like, I, I, I think that if you look throughout history at the individuals that have pushed us the furthest forward, the quickest, there's a way in which what they were saying and what they were dealing with was completely irrational in that it didn't match up with the, what both what society 
perceived as being real. And what the physical world kind of demonstrated is real, too, because a lot of these ideas, as we've moved further on from, you know, the 20th century, you know, 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, you know, thinkers like Albert Einstein, then you're kind of moving into a world that's non-visible, right? And that's kind of like, well, and even with Newton, right, When you, is really when that starts. But like you, I think at least, don't quote me, right? But you have these these thinkers that... They start to think internally. They start to think about problems. And that's where novel ideas come from. It actually doesn't come from, it doesn't come from looking into, at the world, which is, which, is, which is crazy. That's why you need irrational people in your society. And that's something that Nietzsche identified in that documentary. He identified that there's certain individuals within societies that are like outliers in a sense, that stick out like a sore thumb, that are, I would say, by what I've just gone over, somewhat irrational and, the, and, and, and hard to reason with. Not because of... Now, here's the problem with that, right? Is, is you can be... You've, you, there's probably a lot of examples of irrational people that you've met in your life that are irrational for a lot of reasons besides some deeper purpose. Right? That, that there's a lot of people that are irrational, that there's a lot of people that are unreasonable, that, that cannot be reasoned with, or that are stubborn in this sense because of an ego issue, because of a focus on themselves, right? And in many ways, a lot of the people that I've named too, that like, or that, I've, that I'm talking about, right? These, these thinkers, these people that have pushed us forward have been big egos too, But it's like when the belief, it's like when they're, they're following something deeper, I think. I think if you've done, maybe if you've done the internal work, maybe if you've done enough work or if you've actually made an effort, a constant effort, you make a constant effort every day to kind of recognize that you are a highly flawed thing and that. In many ways, the way that you realize your purpose and find the map to having a novel idea or making something new is by doing that work, that internal work, or fixing the things that would keep you from seeing it or from speaking truth or speaking your truth, your honesty. And so that if you have done that internal work, that honest work, that spirit work, whatever you want to talk, call it, that when you find something you believe in, when you find that map, when that might map starts to actually give you things that are novel, when you start to have insight that is different than what you've seen or heard before, or maybe you start to have ideas that's different than you've seen or heard before, you can trust them in a way because they're coming from some a deeper source. Uh, and this gets to the idea that we've talked about in, in some of the kind of beginning episodes, but we haven't done it in a while. Is kind of where do where do your thoughts come from? Because we like to think that we make our thoughts. That there's nothing in uh, there's nothing else that's that's doing that process but that would also 
If that were true, if that were to be true, then we could, there's ways we could test that, I think. Right? Because in that we're saying, we're making a statement. We're, we're, we're saying we can control our thoughts. If we make them, if we fashion them, then we have control over them, right? But what happens when you try to not think? You can't, right? It's impossible to not think. Maybe thinking is not the right way to put it, term, because thinking, I think, can be conflated with a certain mental state. Um, I'm really more talking about, like, you can't turn off, if you chose to, your consciousness. This thing, whatever it is, that's watching <laughs> and, and, and viewing all of this, right? You can't turn that thing off. And in many ways, if, if you want to see that those, the thoughts that you, you, you have are come from something deeper than, than kind of the surface level thinking thing, the mechanism that is you, um, is to try to stop them, is to meditate, right? To try to, to try to quiet your mind in a sense. That's why you've heard people say that before, right? try to quiet things to sit and by yourself right simplify in some sense and make the focus all about you in a weird way put all of that attention on nothing but your internal world and try to eliminate everything else that's around you and what I've found and from what I've heard other people report from my studies and this kind of stuff throughout the years is that it's not possible to ever fully shut that tap off. That in some ways, like Alan Watts has described us as passive watchers, uh, akin to kind of moviegoers in a movie theater, right? And and in that, in many ways, I, I do I like that way of thinking about life, um, because it also does kind of speak of like the deeper nature of the universe being a, a thing that that wants to play right that this is fundamentally about about love right life is love <laughs> and in some ways the idea of it being a movie is and it being for entertainment kind of speaks of that cuz you're entertained by what you love i think entertainment is a form of love And that what we do is kind of watch. We are the thing that watches. We're not the thing that generates the idea. We're the thing that watches for the idea and picks it out. You know what I mean? We are the mechanism. The selection mechanism. Whereas like the active selection mechanism in like evolution itself is the... at least in human beings, would in many, I, w- I would in many ways argue that the female is the selection mechanism, the active form of that, because it's the one that, in, at least in human beings, is the one that chooses kind of uh, what traits shall be passed on. Now, the way I just referred to that is in a super idealistic, basic version of, of interactions between <laughs> human beings, right? Um, 
but in a, at a basic level, in many ways, but what the, the female looks for traits in the male that are good enough to be passed on or that should be passed on that they identify as attractive. And I think in many ways, the things that femininity or females identify as attractive are the things that are necessary to be passed on in males, right? And that vice versa, right? It kind of works the opposite way with, with males that what we're attracted to and femininity is kind of the things, but not in the active way. It's not like, because it's, it's more like, it's more like what, what, what we're looking for is the, is the, the thing that will, it's like, what is it? It's like, I think in some ways, both, you know, the human being is a mechanism, right? Like I just said. And so the female and the male are both mechanisms through which kind of evolution plays out. What I mean by the fem feminine being the more active version of that is, that by choosing kind of the trip by, by 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 having the ability in a modern sense maybe not always historically but in a modern sense to kind of choose which procreate who is procreated with you have a control an active control over the the evolutionary development of the human being itself which is a more active role i would say in the kind of in in in, in the development of humanity, period, uh, than we like to admit. And I don't know why I brought that up. Kind of a weird tangent, right? Because Because I, 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 I guess <sighs> I'm having trouble figuring out whether I'm doing it right. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, right? Like why I went on that tangent right there at the end. But I, I think it might be something to do with me kind of trying to distract myself. Like I'm trying to kind of avoid what my original intention was sitting down here and talking. And that was to talk about being afraid of failing. But in some ways, I just tried to kind of put, twist it and turn it into some other conversation about femininity, femininity and masculinity and evolution. Right. Um, which was unnecessary in some in some ways. I think the only way you actually do fail <clears throat> in, in life is by choosing it.
And I do think that that's the way that you can see people in the most pain, the closest to hell that they'll ever be, is when they choose to <clears throat> they, ch they, they choose that to stop trying to figure out what their purpose is. And they give up on themselves in a sense. Say, so, you know what? Like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not worth it, right? Or maybe I'm too crazy. <laughs> or maybe I'm, maybe, maybe, maybe that feeling I have inside is misguided. You know? You know, this doubt creep in. Maybe I'm not enough to handle whatever I think I, my purpose is. Maybe, maybe it's all something, maybe, maybe I am insane. Maybe, you know, there's all these other things. Maybe, what do you, maybe there, maybe you're not perceiving the world in an, in an objectively, an objective way, right? That there is fundamentally something wrong. I, I have this internal fear of that, right? Because it's like, I think it's kind of in place there too, in some ways. So we have this internal fear that, that we're broken. Like we could, we can be born broken, you know? I kind of find myself going back, constantly back to that because of kind of the internal struggles and how difficult internally it's been for me to go along this journey and how, how difficult in general it seems that life seems to be. And how absolutely horribly painful it can be in many ways, many different forms. I was watching uh, a video, one of the first videos from Jordan Peterson that I've seen in a very long time because he's been going through hell that I didn't realize. Um, you know, he's been, he had a, a pretty significant uh, benzodiazepine um, addiction, right? That was from a prescription that he took, from what I understand, uh, that he's been trying to get off for about a year now. And if any of you understand or know, I've been on any kind of, or ever tried to get off of any kind of benzos, uh, benzodiazepine apparently uh, is one of the most wicked withdrawals you could ever imagine. And kind of, uh, he took about an hour to describe what his process, what the process has been like for the last year. Uh, and what he described was um, the kind of hell that you didn't, you can't really imagine. You know, kind of being in constant physical pain, torturous pain, things like that for periods of time that seem so unreasonable. It's like, how could any human being endure that kind of a thing, right? On top of emotional pain. And so, like, I'm sitting there watching that, listening to this person that I respect and idolize, you know, and... um and in many ways, you know, as a philosopher, I, I, I consider a mentor, right? And so um, to see somebody that you hold in such high regard broken, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and having to start over again, kind of, in a sense, right? And to see somebody that has talked about these ideas at such depth, to be going through that kind of suffering he talks about. And to be the thing that's willing to show it to the world, even after everything else that's, that's happened. Um, there was just something that was so emotionally gripping about watching him tell his story and seeing 
that kind of you could see kind of the effect this has had on him physically, you know, and um, it kind of I think maybe did something a little bit to shake me internally too. Um, because what what does it mean when 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 the person that you you kind of consider um, as the one that has it figured out doesn't have it figured out, and well, that means that. It, kind of some of the things I've said before that I was hoping I kind of might have been wrong about, I wasn't, which is like that the world is always going to throw you curveballs, even if you have kind of the most solid philosophy I could think of. You know what I mean? It's still going to smack you in the face. You're still fallible, right? You can still make mistakes. Like in his case, Jordan Peterson's case, like the he was prescribed the, the medication, right? It was probably some form of Xanax or something like that, right? Um, and what's so terrifying about that kind of his story is how many people are, are on the same kind of medication um, and just how many people may, how, how many deaths may be related to people's inability to get off of benzodiazepine and their withdrawals. Kind of from what the, his description was, the, the hell that it is, um, is something that would really definitely cause, push people to do some really drastic things, right? And so um, anyway, it's kind of besides the point. And I think maybe that's like what you, you, that, maybe that is my fear is like being that, like turning, like turning into that, like not being able to hold myself together. You know what I mean? And to watch, you know, like you said, your mentor actually have that happen and fall apart, like kind of in a more of a national spectacle, um, is really something, but I got to say, you know, and I, is, is I still I still feel the same way about the person, that individual, just because that, just because Jordan Peterson is going through something difficult and made mistakes, right? Before, um, like we all, he show, it does nothing but show that he's, he is the human being he espouses and that he, that, that the ideas that he talks about, um, come from experience, internal and lived experience. Right. And so, in many ways, it's it's I've gained a, a a deeper respect for him after, especially after seeing the kind of torturous pain he's been through after that too, and it's it's made me realize that 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 I need to watch. Like, there's obviously some gaps in the way that I like. There's there's there always is right. There's always gaps in the way you think, but there's obviously some gaps in the philosophy that I've kind of some of the philosophies I've taken on and I need to figure out where those holes are. Right. I need to figure out where I'm flawed and where I'm, where my, where I don't want to look and where I, where I'm easily kind of what I hide from, you know, and I, I think I hide from failure, but running away from it doesn't make it a smaller problem. It just, it makes it that more probable. I feel like, because really the only way you fail is to give up on yourself. And how do you give up on yourself? Well, usually when you feel crushed, when you feel like things are so overwhelming that you can't continue on. Well, how do you get there? By making it stressful, making things so stressful, making putting so much pressure on yourself that you, you quit, that you stop trying. And so I think that there's a... There's an aspect of my fear that's unfounded, and it's it's kind of brilliant that that's what I'm coming to right now. 
because I can't fail. Why am I afraid of failure? <laughs> like what? Why? Because what I just said, I really truly believe it. I, I, that's true. I think it's objectively true that the only way you fail at anything is to give up. Because failing is different than losing. Failing is different than fucking losing. You can lose a lot of things. Losing is kind of more like when you're at the short end of like a matter equation, right? A things equation. I it's like it's like a you lose Losing is a state of being that you can experience in which errors in your perception of the world and your ability to enact your beliefs or you know, in your ability to project your inner world externally is shown to be inadequate, right? That's what losing is. Like what you lose when you don't do something properly, right? So like, but it's not like you never try to lose, right? And so as I, so if you lose, then you did something in that process that wasn't correct, right? Whether it was an intentional or non-intentional uh, problem. So losing is about identifying what you're not doing properly. That's what losing is about. Failing is something different than that. Failing is to choose to not try anymore. Failing is giving up. You can't be a failure unless you give up on yourself. Maybe people can tell you you are, or maybe people can view you that way. But you can't actually ever be that or become that in the world unless you choose it. So what the hell am I afraid of? <laughs> and if you're afraid about something, what the hell are you afraid of? Maybe the thorny path that I talk about a lot is choosing to look fear in the face. Not because of some masochistic drive. Not because you want to keep yourself in this anxiety-ridden state. But because there's actually a truth in it. That it is the best way to deal with fear. Is to look it in the fucking face. Stare that bitch down. What are you afraid of? Find it and look at it. And stare at it. 
because I think that's what I kind of just did over this last 45 minutes, guys, right? And I think what I've just demonstrated is I had nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think you can do the exact same thing with yourself. I don't think it matters what you're afraid of. You know what I mean? I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of being viewed as a failure. And that speaks a lot about me and my ego, right? I'm afraid of being associated with a thing that that thought it was something that could make something novel in the world, but couldn't, right? I'm afraid that people will associate me with that thing. Hey, look at that guy that thought he was big enough to actually make something new in this world. Look at how pathetic he is. That's the way that I, that, that's, and that's where, it, that's a, isn't that weird though? God, saying it out loud sounds so weird. That sounds so weird. Because I don't think people really think that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because uh, first of all, nobody gives a shit that, that, that much about your life to begin with. <laughs> like, people really are more self absorbed than we like to admit. And so it's like, nobody actually is paying that much attention to you, dude. <laughs> right? To actually care that much. Right? And then, but also, <laughs> like, if the person that would do that If you try to break down why they would say something like that, why they would kind of attack you or label you as some a failure because you tried, like let's say, if somebody actually was to kind of like walk up to you and be like, hey man, you're just like a disgrace because you you tried to make something new. <laughs> you know, just saying it out loud is so ridiculous. See how ridiculous that sounds? Like you can't even imagine a scenario where somebody would do that because it makes no sense. But if I kept that thought inside of my head, it felt really rational. <laughs> It felt like a real way that people would actually view me and engage with me in the world. And it actually is something that I would be afraid of and would keep me from saying things to you guys on here that needed to be said. Like what I was afraid of. Like this whole podcast episode I just did. Son of a bitch, right? Like... I'm starting to get this weird feeling like I said, that when I start to get scared of something, I know it's something I'm about to do something. I'm starting to get this like anticipation where it's like, and maybe that's what, when I was saying, like, I felt like I was slipping. Maybe that's why I was feeling that is <clears throat> like, I felt like I was starting to devolve a little bit. Every time I get to that point, I think I get, I think I start to kind of devolve because, well, I start to devolve because I'm avoiding looking at what I'm afraid of. And what I'm afraid of is exactly what I'm supposed to be talking about with you guys every episode, right? Or whatever I'm afraid of or whatever I'm, it makes me vulnerable, right? Is what I'm supposed to be doing with you guys. And so I often, when it, you know, I'll, I'll check one box off like this or whatever I'm, I don't want to talk about. I'll go on there. I'll talk and I'll be like, look at what I did. I, and I'll feel so good about myself. Like, look, you just broadcast that everywhere out and it came out really good and it seemed meaningful. And then I'll be like, yeah, now work's done. Don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> you know, like lock it back up. <laughs> Welcome back up. Nobody else has to see anymore. And that's all I'm going to give you guys now, you know? And it's like, no, no, 
Because the reason that this is valuable in any way is, is because of that, because there's some kind of sacrificial aspect, because it's scary, right? And because it's true. You know, if this is valuable in any way, it's only going to be because of that. Because it's something that a lot of people don't want to do. <laughs> or else it'd be common, right? <clears throat> and so... I guess I have to, like, make a pact with you guys. As an audience. And with myself right here, right now. And maybe you'll make it with me. I don't know. If you feel like you want to, do it. If not, hey... Your prerogative, right? It's free. <laughs> but I think that pact is going to be something like... When I start to get scared... And when I start to devolve... I'm going to come on here... And I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to figure out what the hell is going on. Because every time I do, I figure it out. And I really, really am starting to think, especially after listening to Jordan Peterson and his experience, that some of the stuff we've been talking about is real. That, that these medications, the way that we've approached mental health, the way we've approached dealing with these problems, is 100% the wrong way to deal with problems, with mental issues. In very specific cases, right? There's a necessity for chemical interventions, very specific cases but that they can't be used in, in, the, in the way that they're being used because they do people a disservice because the things that are gonna make me grow as an individual are the things that I'm afraid of the things that, I'm, that make me vulnerable you know it's the idea of like the lobster or the crab or, you know anything that molts or it has to like shed its its shell to grow. Right? You know this concept of molting? Let's look that up really quick. I want to define it for you. Yeah, molting. In biology, molting or molting is uh, two different uh, spellings there. Uh, also known as sloughing or shedding um, is the manner in which an animal routinely casts off a part of its body. Uh, either at a specific time of the year or at a specific point in its life cycle. Molting can involve shedding the epidermis or other external layers, and some groups of other body parts may be shed. For example, wings of some in some insects or the entire exoskeleton in anthropods. So this is really more what I was talking about, um, is that there's certain, I guess in anthropods, <clears throat> uh, animals that will shed their entire exoskeleton, right? And they do it, it's a necessity for them to grow. <clears throat> because they're the hard structure, the rigid structure, uh, their bones essentially are the are that is that exoskeleton, and so um, they need in order for them to expand, they have to shed it. This is that at least how I conceptualize? I'm pretty sure this is correct. Seems like it is from what I just read. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but the concept, kind of what I was getting at, is that um, every time we get it, there's a necessity to being vulnerable, that we need to be vulnerable to grow. That you have to, in order for you to actually grow, you first have to shed that outer layer to make room. And that that outer layer, that shell, that defense, that shield, first you have to set the shield down. And, and that's the part that we really never want to do. We don't want to be vulnerable. But in order for us to grow and to find any novel idea or to, to 
figure out what our purpose is, I think we have to do that. We have to do it. There's a necessity to it. And maybe that the, the best way to internalize and habituate that process is to in some ways make a pact like this. To identify the thing that makes you uncomfortable with the thing that gives you the reward. Hmm. To mix both of those things together. The th to mix the thing that you are afraid of with the thing that gives reward. It's the, it is the thing that enables your reward. The thing you're afraid of is the thing that enables whatever reward you dream of. And in order to get it, you have to be vulnerable. You have to grow. That, the path that unfolds through that growing is your life, is your purpose, is your meaning. And that at the end of that growing is like the you that was always meant to be. The you that is fully realized, fully complete and put together, fully articulated. And very, very, very few people ever get to a point where they're in that spot. I think it's an exceedingly rare thing to, 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 to experience a human being that's, that's fully articulated. I really don't I actually don't know how do I how you would identify that. Maybe that's what the idea of like a Buddha would be. Or like Jesus, right? The ideal versions of human beings that we've had throughout history in our religious texts, things like that. But that if you do, if you do at least recognize the necessity for this process. It's, there's a liberation in it. And that's what I'm, something I'm realizing in the moment. That's why I paused there for a second. There's a liberation. There's a relief. <laughs> there's a weight that gets uh, lifted when you know that all you have to do... When you know that like all of your answers are where your fear is. And so all you have to do is find out where your fear is. And that's really easy to do because you are afraid of a lot of things. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, all the answers are right there. They're right in front of me. You know what I mean? This energy you get. Oh. Yeah. I hope this wasn't too disjointed for you again, and I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, It definitely was beneficial for me, guys. This one really helped. I needed to get this out. I was feeling a deep heaviness, and I feel a lot better now, and I hope it does help, help you in the same way if you're going through anything similar. Uh, but I hope you do make that pact with me. That if we're sitting here and we're talking and I'm going through some of these things, at the very least, if I'm going through some of these things and I'm kind of making myself vulnerable and talking about things that I'm going through in my life that, that, that are painful, right? Uh, that at the very least, you as a listener find or try to look for what things in, inside of you inspire the same kind of feelings because they're there. You know? And I'm sure if you're listening up until this point in this episode, you're already doing that work. <laughs> you know what I mean? The people that wouldn't be doing that work probably would have shut it off at minute five, right? So uh, I, 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 know, I know the listeners that are, are, have stuck with us thus far are pretty uh, diligent people. 
you all are smart people out there. So uh, lots of love, guys. Right? I really appreciate your support. Lots of love. I can feel it. <laughs> I really can. And it means a whole lot to me because it's been a rough, rough couple months for me. So thank you very much for your love and support, guys. And um, I hope this episode was beneficial. I will be back on as soon as I can with more uh, fears to talk with you about, I guess. <laughs> uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye.